This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Welcome into another special episode of Hash Measures Podcast. This week, we're breaking away from our usual format to head for a well-earned break to the planet Alderaan. And we're about to review Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. And so joining me as always, my co-host Dan. Dan, I presume if we're successful today, we both get medals at the end of this podcast. Let me just be clear, Paul. Everyone will be getting the medal. Not not just two people. Good. There's a lot of people that contribute to the our Patreon producers. They'll get one. Good. I think Bruce will get one. <laughs> Bruce has been singled out. Sador's getting one. Yep. I'm on. I'm on board with this. There's a, there's a, there's a few people down the line that need medals, right? Paddy's getting one. Yep. Trish is getting one. Trish is already a Patreon, but yeah, she could have yeah. two medals. She could have two medals. Medals for everyone. Paul, look, one of the first things I'd like to talk about with this movie, I'm, I'm straight into it, is for years and years, I've always, you know, I it wasn't probably until like maybe the last sort of like 10 or 15 years that I started referring to this movie as A New Hope. Like I always just called it Star Wars. Yeah. And even when you go into uh, IMDb, it, it, it just says Star Wars. But it's like, this, this, this is A New Hope. Star Wars is the wider franchise. It's, it's always been a little bit murky. Yeah, it's... For me, I think it maybe changed when they brought the, the prequels out because that was when things... That was when it went from being the Star Wars trilogy to becoming the original trilogy. And that's when names and things and the whole... I don't think I was really conscious of episode numbers until I saw the, the trailer for episode one and then it all started to feel different, right? I think you're right. Like it was, you know, like now it's like genius foresight that you would, you know, drop your first movie as number four. But I think growing up never gave it any consideration. Probably probably too young to really give it any consideration. Yeah. It's, uh, look, this is a massive film to dive into. This is where it all started. And so I guess we should probably dive in. But one of the things I was just reading about, and I think I've heard, George Lucas talking about this before in interviews, but he came up with this idea in 1971 and it was um, just after he'd finished THX 1138, um, which when you watch it has so many similarities and look and feel to A New Hope, which is unsurprising. But originally he actually wanted to adapt the 1938 Flash Gordon into his own, but someone else, Dino De Laurentiis, who does all the Hannibal movies, he, he had the rights, so he couldn't do it. And so he decided he'd do his his own thing and i just always wonder imagine if those flash gordon rights hadn't have been tied up by good old dino we possibly wouldn't be sitting here talking about this right now it, it's crazy to think about things like that eh? it's, it reminds me of a similar context when you hear about a, a different actor who might have been cast in a key role and it's kind of like i just can't imagine that like i can't imagine mark hamill not being luke skywalker yep. and it's it, and that's because it's just what you sort of you grow up to know but it's it's those sort of sliding door moments that always blow my mind. I always think of Kurt Russell as Harrison Ford. Whenever you, if, if you've ever seen the footage of him, and yeah, it's amazing. To if you haven't seen it, YouTube uh, his uh, his his attempt, his uh, audition for Han Solo, and it's uh, it would have been interesting. I think I would have accepted because it, it would have always been what it was. But of course, 
it's not. Um, so I don't know if anyone listening to this hasn't seen the original Star Wars, but just in case, very briefly, Luke Skywalker joins forces with the Jedi Knight, a cocky pilot, a Wookiee and two droids to save the galaxy from the Empire's world-destroying battle station, whilst also attempting to rescue Princess Leia from the mysterious Darth Vader. He's not mysterious to us, Dan. We know all about his journey in this timeline order rewatch that we've done. And this this watch of A New Hope, doing it through the timeline order and also knowing that I'd be talking about on the podcast, somehow felt very different this time. It did. This is the, the first... Well, is it the first? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's the... No, I don't know where I'm going with that. I feel like it's the... It's the really the first time I've appreciated timeline order in a different a different setting. Yep. Because I guess normally when I watch the movies, I would sit down and watch them in release order. And um particularly when I'm talking about the core saga, not so much the the rogue ones and the solos, but for this this time for me, uh, a new hope kind of hit differently. It made me sort of think differently about the scenes. And obviously, like, you know. You and I have seen this movie hundreds and hundreds of times. Like this is a, a core fabric of our being, um, but it just it, it felt different this time. Yeah, it really did. And I think coming into it, um, sort of having the last time we reviewed one, of course, was was Rogue One, and pressing play right from the start. There's that mono sound that hits you of the the 20th century Fox fanfare, and even the music of Star Wars as it comes into the opening credits it becomes distinctly older before you've even seen a single shot of film. It, it already has that feel. Um, and then it, you know, the, the, the opening crawl has gone and you're hit by, as you always talk about it, the never ending star destroyer. And you're just reminded of, I don't know, just all those incredible memories of the first time watching it as a kid. Still to this day, Paul, every time I see it, I sometimes like, I know you tell me the story every time. It's like, when I was a kid, that Star Destroyer just went on and on and on. And I couldn't, like, how big is this spaceship? And I like, I told her again this time, and she's like, I know, I know, you've told me. You know, I know you think it's a big ship. It's bigger out there. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's not even a super Star Destroyer, but at the time, the Star Destroyer was the biggest thing in the entire universe for us kids at that point. Well, I think then we um, met, then we met the, the Duster. Yeah, that's true. I think probably the other thing I kind of thought about for the first time in a long time is I've always been so impressed with how well uh, A New Hope has aged as a movie. Yeah. And it's always like kind of stood the test of time for me. But I think watching these movies in timeline order, it was more jolting this time that sort of the obviously the this is a movie that's over 40 years old now. I kind of um, noticed the, the the difference more, which is completely like you give it a pass because like it is what it is, right? And it's kind of like this is the this is this is the the one, um, but it definitely sort of stood out to me more that it's starting to feel uh, a little bit older. And I said to this man, I'm like, what would do you would you ever remake this movie? And I, like you know, I know the answer ultimately is no. Um, but it just kind of got me thinking, like, imagine what a, you know, nothing changes, mm. but a complete sort of remake, how incredible it would be. It would be, it would be, I mean, even the version that we're watching, of course, is a re-restored from the original film, whatever, whatever the words are, reformatted, re, re, I don't know, there's also the remastered, um, remastered. and it does look very crisp and clear when you 
think about it in the context of imagine watching your original VHS tape version um, and what we used to just be quite happy to watch for, for, for many decades. Um, now it does look so much more satisfying in that respect. But there are some things. So obviously, yeah, as, as the ship gets pulled into the Star Destroyer and Vader comes through that door, even I noticed looking at Vader's helmet, uh, which is matte, like in Rogue One, which we talked about previously, which is great. But it's also got heaps of scratches and marks across it, which, of course, at the time, they didn't know what happened in Rogue One. But now it actually fits quite well that he's just come through that corridor taking out all the rebels. But it's it's you can really see how how beat up it is. It's incredible detail. Uh, That's a a good shout because, you know, normally Vader is such a a crisp, sharp-looking character and it it does look a little bit um, battle-worn and it's not quite as, like, form-fitting as it is, like, the sort of Vader that we're used to. No, when you think about him, particularly in Empire, Return of the Jedi, sort of, you know, it's it's all very almost, like, polished, like, navy shoes. Like, do you think he has, like, a mirror before he goes out? Because, you know, there's a lot of gear going on there. Well, I think he has a mirror and he probably has some type of droid that um, polishes and buffs the armor when he's in the back to tank. Mm. Yeah, I like the idea of it, that. Yeah, it probably goes into some type of like deep, deep clean, I imagine. Well, because you, you imagine that suit probably gets quite rank on the inside. Like, you know, he's still got lots of boons. He's probably got lots of like creams and gels. Like it's... There's probably more than one Vader suit floating around there, Paul. Like there's, there's, there's probably a couple. One of my favourite Star Trek series is Lower Decks, which shows one of those sort of storylines of the people that you don't see in the main characters, but the people that work downstairs, the cleaners. And, and I would love to see that in the Star Wars universe. That would be fascinating. Yeah, definitely. So, um, of course, the narrative of this, this movie, um, right from the very first word, the very first word spoken, did you hear that? C-3PO and R2-D2. And just, just I don't want to jump ahead to scenes, but just the opening 30-odd minutes or so, by and large, is really told through the story, through the lens of these two droids and the power of that story. I don't think that's something that you would get today. I don't know if, if audience would necessarily buy it in the same way, but at the time... That's our introduction to the whole story and the whole the whole journey of the plans being hidden into R2 and the escape pod and all those things. It's, uh, I don't know, it's something else I reflected on. Yeah, I also noticed the same thing. And it's interesting you say that because I actually paused the movie at one point to see, like, actually, I think we were about 43 minutes in before we even, like, meet Luke. Like, it's quite, it's quite deep into the movie. Um, and then when you think about all the things that happen in terms of, I'm obviously jumping ahead a little bit here, like, in terms of getting, getting to the Falcon and heading off and, um, landing on the, the Death Star, like, by the time you actually get to, you know, the, the, the real sort of final um, big battle, there's actually not that much time left. Like a lot of the time is actually just setting up the story. And I think it's something that I like, you know, if you were a brand new watcher of Star Wars today, whether you would tolerate that, like, because yeah. it's, you know, we live in such a different world. And especially when you think about some of the other Star Wars movies, which basically start with like huge battles or. Yeah. It's a really good observation. The and again, jumping ahead a bit, the the ending by the time they sort of escape the Death Star to the battle, that all happens so so quickly. And yet, this opening forty five hour, they really draw out you know the them on Tatooine and just getting picked up by the set. You know, all the things we're going to talk about. But yeah, you're right. It it is uh, 
it's almost like we need to finish this movie quickly, which um, we talked about again with other movies where it's like, oh, I wish we just dragged that a little bit longer. I wish they, wish they hadn't have tidied things up quite so neatly, quite so quickly. There were some things I noticed doing this timeline rewatch, you know, just will be sent to the Spice Mines on Kessel, you know, just just thinking, oh, well, that was only two movies ago. One of the greatest questions that Vader ever asks is, if this is a consular ship, where is the ambassador? It's a, it's a question that I always wanted the answer to. I feel like, you know, if they just had maybe got an ambassador on the ship, would Vader actually have been questioning quite in the same manner of speaking? I don't know. But uh, there's some interesting scenes on that opening ship. There are some interesting things, and I think even when um, when Vader eventually meets Princess Leia, like it's like they've got, they've, it's like they've already kind of got a bit of a relationship, like at least through a a political war or Senate type lens. Yeah, and you know, let's not dig in and pick up rocks looking for worms, but uh, you know, did he could he not sense that that was a daughter at this point? You know, it's kind of where was where's your force now, Anakin? You're just, the chosen one, you know, it's, you know. I won't hear any of this, Paul. I won't hear it. <laughs> I, I knew you wouldn't. Um, the uh, So the droids are down on the planet. This, this, I guess maybe we'll jump ahead to that before we, we do the same thing and rush this podcast at, at the end. Um, I always remember being terrified as a kid uh, as our two teachers going along that sort of dark terrain and you can just see these these eyes peeking out from inside the caves, just like these, like, gold yellow eyes and just being terrified at that point and of course when you meet the Jabbers they're the least terrifying thing ever well I think this is another interesting thing right because you know watching this as a young Padawan the the Jawas are terrifying but now we live in a world where there's hundreds of hours of Star Wars content and TV shows movies books and we we know that the the Jawas are just kind of scavengers and you know in fact uh, I forget the name of the mechanic on the Mandalorian who dated a Jawa once like they're like <laughs> yeah. they're obviously um you know they they're nowhere near as terrifying and I think this is probably one of the downfalls of timeline order watch if you were new right is like you, you're not as I don't know. You, they don't have the same sort of presence and, and mystery about them. And this is something that we've talked about with uh, things like you know, uh, the Book of Boba Fett, and that you know you have these great mysterious characters, and kind of the more you know about them, the less sort of amazing they become. Yeah. They're back up in space, they figure out that the the plans are not on the ship, but then that random imperial officer you know who really is switched on says they jettisoned several escape pods you know they must have hidden them in there and then vader uses another great line which i always ponder um see to it personally there'll be no one to stop us this time now we've come through the the timeline order rewatch rogue one we saw all the events there i wonder what he's referring to dan what does that mean to you well, are we talking about stuff from the Kenobi series? Well, yes, the, those are some things that, of course, um, could be referencing, I guess. It's uh, it's very interesting. I think the other thing just to touch on uh, in that scene is how this whole movie would have just ended, like it would have started and ended if they'd just shot down the, um, the escape pod. Because I feel like, oh, hold your fire, hold your fire, like, hold on. Are we paying per laser bolt? Like, I, yeah. I don't think the Empire is too worried about it. Blast it. Like, you know, the, the, the questions need to be asked, Paul. Who's running this ship? Did you make that joke up on the fly, Dan? Or is that something from the Seth MacFarlane family guy uh, Star Wars where the guy who's like 
shooting says. I'm not too sure. I, I see, it, it just, it, it's always bothered me. I feel like I've heard it somewhere. That's really interesting that you say it like that. Um, meanwhile, down on the planet, where did these stormtroopers get those dewbacks from so quickly? Like, they, you know, they're, they're looking for the droids and all of a sudden they're all riding along on their dewbacks. Like, I don't know. They seem to be always well prepared. Well, the Jubics are obviously, you know, a, a newer um, addition in the remastered versions of um, of Star Wars. But I, I wonder, is it kind of like a bit of an arc up on the Star Destroyer where they've actually got a stable of different <laughs> different creatures? <laughs> but it, it kind of doesn't make sense. When you think about the vehicles that uh, the Empire owns, like an ATST or something, like there's, there's probably far more, or even just some speeders. Like, it just seems like such a... A weird choice, but it, it kind of builds to the universe, right? It does. It fits in well. Um, this Star Wars Lower Deck series is writing itself. We've got the guy who's taking care of Vader's clothes in there. We've got the people working in the stables with all the animals on the Star Destroyer. It's it's. This is a beautiful series coming along. Then, um, on that Star, uh, sorry, on the Sand Crawler, I feel like that this this part of the movie always takes me back even more. To I, I just feel like every scene, I'm just remembering as a kid like just being fascinated by every single droid every face every every different color and different type of droid and like what could they possibly be i just remember being absolutely more fascinated almost by the star destroyer and all the droids and all the tatooine stuff almost than i was uh of the of the death star turret run you know yeah yeah um on the sand crawler another droid that i was always scared of as a child is that kind of silvery one with the big bug eyes yes. when, when they first go on like he always thought i was like oh god these droids are scary that's an evil face that's an evil droid face for sure um and then the the sand crawler winds up at the the lars homestead and we hear aunt baru chatting luke luke and that's the first time that we hear the skywalker star wars theme and again something about this rewatch and seeing mac hamill's entrance as luke now is just it feels like an even bigger deal and also maybe because i because of the sequel trilogy and i know what's to come there as well it just feels even more monumental mm-hmm. there was definitely a, there's an annoying moment in there for me but also said with love like just how um how old auntie's like just yelling at luke like like just how <laughs> Like, look, we're in a desert. Like, we're in like a big hole in the ground. Like, someone like screaming at me about "Don't forget to get tell your uncle" or something. It just it, it feels frustrating. In a world where the technology is more advanced than ours, it feels like a walkie-talkie or some sort of text message. You know, would be far more than having someone shouting "Luke, Luke." <laughs> Even just like a like a comms device or something, just something to kind of be like, "Hey, Luke," or like, in fact, if you had a comms device, you'd go you'd go straight to Owen. You'd be like, "Hey, Owen, don't forget your scruffy new footer." <laughs> your scruffy new footer. Um, I always like to talk about Star Wars books. Then, and another book which is very interesting is A New Hope from a certain point of view which was brought out uh, to celebrate the 40th anniversary of A New Hope. And it's 40 short stories that tell the story of A New Hope through other characters that we don't see on screen. And the one that always stands out to me is the story of R5-D4. So when the red droid comes forward and his, his, his motivator appears to be faulty, the canon story is that whilst they're on the sand crawler, 
R2D2 and uh, R5 are uh, talking together and he's like, I've got these plans. I've got to get this to save the universe. And so when R5 realizes, R5 realizes that when he comes forward, he deliberately self-sabotages his, uh, his, his, his motivator so that, so that Luke will say, what about that blue one? This is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life, Paul. I love that. Because it was always annoying that R5 got chosen, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, you need R2. Um, but I, I love the fact that R2's sway reaches other droids. That's impressive. Yeah, there's a, there's a few interesting stories in that uh, from a certain point of view book. Um, but yeah, so we get R2 and and, and C3PO eventually. Um, and yeah, so that whole conversation around, um, you know, Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan, I wonder if he means old Ben Kenobi, yeah, that whole message, Princess Leia coming up, that, that's for me, it's not when the movie starts, but that's when things become really, really interesting and in you get a feel we're, we're going on a mission. Yeah, and I think, you know, I know um, we obviously don't get the full message at this point, but I think it's so much more powerful, like having now seen shows like The Clone Wars, when they're like, um, you know, when they're sort of referring to it like, you know, um general kenobi and stuff it's just like yeah general kenobi like he's the man yeah. so it's um it kind of has so much more meaning than it than it ever did when you know the first time watching this movie as a as a young one yeah oh at this point he's just an old man yeah he's as luke says he's kind of a strange old hermit and yeah it's quirky isn't it? like i just got so many questions about it like the fact that like we kind of refer to ben as a strange old hermit the fact that um, obviously, we know that Obi Wan's kind of keeping a watchful eye over over Luke, um, but obviously he's had some interactions with um, Luke, and the fact that like Owen and um, Aunt Peru are sort of almost quite negative about Owen. Uh, sorry about Obi Wan, and are they doing that intentionally to sort of stop any sort of um, ambitious Luke going to talk to him? But it's I, I've never enjoyed the way that they've kind of talked about Obi Wan, considering what a a hero he is. Yeah. Oh, putting aside Owen in Revenge of the Sith and, and the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, Owen's portrayal in A New Hope, I just can't stand him. He's he's the he, he's the classic uh, sort of father figure that everyone tries to run away from as a kid, you know, just the way he is, you know, he better have those things repaired or they'll be held to pay, you know, and then, oh, it's only one more season. This is when I need you the most. So annoying. Yeah, it's um, and but the look on his face. The one thing I do always appreciate is when Luke says, "Oh, he claims to be the property of an Obi Wan Kenobi." There is a real, there's some real kudos to the acting there. Where the look, there's a real terror in his eyes as he's realizing Luke's starting to put things together, and um, it's great. And then of course when he runs away, you know, he's not a farmer. He has too much of his father in him. You know, at this point, we just don't know what that means for the first time watching. <clears throat> it's funny too. Do you know the other thing I found in this in this watch? And maybe I've noticed it before. Maybe it's just the fact that we're we're talking about these movies so intently. Is how whiny Luke is. Like, yeah. like he's so like, oh, I'll never get to be a starfighter. You know, like he's always just having a a like. It's no wonder Owen is so grumpy and kind of like, yeah. oh, I'm done with you, kid. Like, because he's so whiny. <laughs> He really is. I'm also going to cut this out of the pod and have it as my ringtone, or at least my notification. Um, he is, and, and Mark Hamill himself, quite often when he's sort of talking at conventions, will always sort of do a, a whiny impression of Luke saying, oh, but I was going to head to Toshi Power Station and get some power conversion. Yeah, he he plays on that line. He's constantly, oh, but it's it's great because it does remind you that 
this, he's a teenager, you know, and and I, you know, across the board, I think I could broadly say that's what teenagers can be like. Indeed, indeed. Oh, look, it's not like it's not enough to put you off, but it it just it, it felt really. Um, there's a lot of moaning and whining and and a new hope. Kind of like his father around the same age. I'm thinking of Attack of the Clones, Dan. I think you're right. That's, that's a good shout. Yeah. It's kind of a, like father, like son, definitely for there. Always fascinated by what Peru is cooking. You know, when she's putting like what appears to be like some lettuce into the thing and the blue milk. I just love all of this, all of these scenes. Um, meanwhile, Artu's wandered off because, of course, Luke took the restraining bolt off him. You know, not thinking all the time, are we, Luke? Classic teenager. R2 runs away and then he goes looking for him and of course gets caught by the Tuscan Raiders and again the book of Boba Fett just changes my appreciation of those characters even in that brief scene that we see them and how they're portrayed in that moment yeah I think you're right like again I'm I've kind of got a lot more empathy for them because again they were scary characters right but actually they're just kind of uh making their way on you know what was ultimately their their planet and their land before all of these people arrived so yeah again just changes your perspective on these characters from the minute obi-wan comes in and saves the day and brings him back to his 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 home i'm just going to go on the record and say for all 11 star wars movies this 10 minute scene is my number one scene in all of star wars it's Luke going to Obi-Wan's and just sitting down and talking and just, you know, finding out that his father was a Jedi Knight, finding out about the Force and then the lightsaber coming out of the box. That for me, and I appreciating this obviously comes from fond memories as a, as a kid, but it is just the greatest in maybe all of movie history for me. I just can't get enough of that scene. I think um, there's a couple of things in, in sort of in lead up to that. So one, when we first see Obi-Wan, and he's kind of got his like robe on, but it's not like a cool Jedi robe. It's like a kooky one with a pointy hat and stuff. And he's all like, the funny sounds. <laughs> That's the crate dragon. That's the crate dragon noise. As he's um as he's walking towards the sand people. I and actually when we we're watching this, I did the sand people sound. I was like, wow. just to, you're on to fire. Samara, she, she like jumped out of her seat. She's like, what are you doing? It's not just Tuscan Raider. Don't worry about it. You could it. only have done it better um, if you had a gaffy stick as well. That I know, I know. But I, I didn't even really lean, lean into it for this podcast. So <laughs> it's too much. But I think you're right. Like it's interesting um, in uh, in old Ben's house because the other thing that's always kind of surprised me is just that Obi Wan's like, "Here's your father's lightsaber." Like you know, not like you know, like I like. I felt like I wanted that lightsaber to be more earned. And it's kind of like the fact that he just gets given it and then, like, for the rest of the show, he's just walking around, I've got this lightsaber hanging off my hip like I'm a big dog. Like, it's... <laughs> big dog. At the very least, I wanted some health and safety checks put in place because, you know, I won't even let my kids ha have, have a sharp knife or whatever until they fully understand the danger. But what we're talking about here is one of the most dangerous things in the universe. And he just hands it to him and says, hey, have a go, mate. <laughs> Yeah, this clung in in a blaster. It's um yeah, it's it's interesting, right? And I think in again, in the context of everything we now know about the Star Wars universe, you're right. Like it's it's quite a meaningful scene because Obi-Wan reveals so much actually mm. about um Vader slash Anakin at this point. And it's it's so meaningful in the wider Star Wars universe. But again, first time watching this movie, 
that stuff means nothing. That's right. Oh, it, uh, that's it. I think it's the magic of that first time memory. It's just, you know, because we see Vader in the opening scene come in and he's quite clearly in charge and he's quite clearly dangerous. And he's, you know, and then all of a sudden, this old dude, old Ben, suddenly we're finding out, oh, yeah, he was a student of mine, but he was seduced by the dark. I mean, it just, just the awe and the wonder. This is the the magic for me. And it's, um, and then you must learn the ways of the force if you are to accompany me to older one. It's like, wait a second, I've got crops to dust. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even ready to go to Toshi Station, you know. It's um Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, no, it's good. It's it's so interesting. Um just if the internet had been around in nineteen seventy seven when this movie came out, I'm sure the internet would have already worked out who Vader is in the context of of Luke. But because there's no internet, right, like that probably only happened in sort of small sort of face-to-face circles where people might have been talking about these movies or maybe some conventions. But, you know, for for the large parts of the world, no connection was made. And I want to cut us across the scenes, you know, when Alderaan is off the table for Luke, at least for now, we, we, we cut across to two TIE fighters screaming past the camera and we were on the Death Star. And there, we've got all the guys sat around the table, and Tarkin walks in. He's immediately in charge, and there's an empty seat at that table, which I've never really picked up on before. At, you know, as Vader's walking in, uh, sorry, Vader's walking in with Tarkin, going, "Oh, the regional governors will no longer be of any concern to us," and the empty seat, Canon now proves, is Krennic's seat. And of course, Krennic is left behind on Scarif, and that's why that seat is empty. It's it's obviously retrofitted in, but I think that's wonderful. I don't want to cry today, Paul, but Jesus Christ, that that's really got me in the feels. God, that's that's great, actually, isn't it? It's a um, what a what a great connection, especially as you say, because uh, Rogue One has such a you know the hard follow on to A New Hope. That's that's awesome, and that's I I love that. It's so good. Yeah, I I find that fascinating as well, and it's um. But we've talked about it before with the Rogue One um, podcast, but Tarkin's in charge and, you know, he's walking alongside Vader and we're already terrified of Vader, but it's so obvious that Tarkin's in charge. And I've always found that dynamic really interesting because, uh, you know, back in the 70s when he wrote it, it would have been just so easy just to have made Vader be in charge and it would have made sense yeah, in some ways. Well, it's interesting, though, because Samara said the same thing to me. She's like, what? What? I thought Vader was in charge here. And then I was kind of just like scrambled around for some random bits of information to try and explain what this might have been and that, you know, uh, Vader is an apprentice to um, Emperor Palpatine. Um, Tarkin is uh, a military leader. So, you know, there's kind of like, you know, he's he's not, um, you know, they're, they're kind of like they're, probably kind of equals, but um, Moff Tarkin has a much greater responsibility and just as important to the to the Emperor. And I imagine Vader knows this, so he's not going to mess with it. But it is, it's another fascinating dynamic, right? And I think Tarkin is another great, great character who has so much screen presence and is still loved to this day. Um, and I know that there's a book about him and I know that we see him in the Clone Wars, but he's just his, his screen presence is second to none. Yeah, it really is. And The Clone Wars gives us so much about him. And the book you referenced, Tarkin, by James Lucino, another great read, Dan, is set 14, where are we talking? No, five years, sorry, five years after Revenge of the Sith. And so you're really getting, because you know when you see Tarkin at Revenge of the Sith and he's sort of stood there as they're seeing the framework of the mm-hmm. Death Star, it's kind of like, I've always wanted to discover more about that. And of course, we get that a bit with Rebels, but 
yeah, definitely worth it because yeah, it's so interesting that whole dynamic around the table, um, and and then and I don't even know the imperial guy's name. This is the kind of podcast that we are, Dan. But he's sort of like, don't try and frighten us with your sorceress ways, of it. You know, your sad sad devotion hasn't conjured up the death, and suddenly the force choke, choke comes out, and that is something that we've never seen before. And the, the first time we've watched this movie, and it's it's such an incredible moment it's i mean i just yeah i can't give enough kudos to the writing at this point to have created something like that that must have seemed so far-fetched in the 70s and yet it just works so well i think another interesting thing for me and this is something which kind of plagues star wars um occasionally like i recently did in, in the mandalorian is when like you know, don't you know talk about your sorceress ways it's like we've just come from the the prequel era where there's literally hundreds of jedi rolling around people are like force wielding all the time and it seems like the galaxy is so quick to forget that these people existed yeah and it's like what makes you a non-believer particularly like when i think you've got to a certain rank in the military like you've probably seen some things right you'd think he you'd think he would have seen some things and know what he's capable of but does he, sitting at that table with Tarkin in the room, believe that there's no way that he would ever act out against a fellow Imperial? Is he that naive, or, or does it speak? Yeah, does it speak to the arrogance that they just think the Jedi are dead, and and so therefore somehow Vader doesn't have that power anymore, or something? Mm. I, I don't know. Well, again, I think Vader doesn't hold back like you know like we look at his uh his first arrival that we see at the end of rogue one like vader's not doing his this the sorcery and magic in secret like he'll wreck anyone he sees so (laughs) it's it's interesting he will wreck anyone he sees this movie is rated uh you uh sort of like universal uh, general whatever it is in your country but we we cut back to tatooine the 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 sand core is destroyed. Those those blast markings are, are too you know they're too random, <laughs> they're too accurate. They must be stormtroopers. They figure out, of course, that if they've traced the droids to here, that will lead them back home. And Luke races away. And the reason I reference the rating of this movie is because somehow just watching this now and seeing the skeletons of Owen and Baru, that feels like. It didn't affect me as a kid. I don't remember. Maybe it wasn't mm. in the original cut and they've added it in in the several special editions that Lucas has done. But really, that's quite horrific. Well, I, <laughs> it's quite a lot, isn't it? Because I feel like to get a body to skeleton state would require some pretty intense um, firepower. And I just don't like everything we know about the Stormtroopers. I just don't think that that level of like effort would have been put into like um, old aunt and aunt and uncle, and it's it's so extreme. I'm imagining because we never saw what happened. I'm imagining it's like a, a Captain Phasma type leader of stormtroopers, or some sort of mm-hmm. you know really went to town on them because it definitely it's got to be some type of incinerator trooper, right? And they're obviously uh, potentially trying to get information or tried to sort of like wanted to sort of have an impact and obviously it did from a sort of a story point of view and i guess you know luke to progress the story luke needed a uh, there's nothing left for me here i need i need to move on um but I, I was always surprised as well that luke just kind of sped off like it would have been actually great to take obi-wan with him um oh yeah 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 yeah. it would have been great to take obi-wan with him but obi-wan was too I, old to run 
<laughs> and because I think the other thing that's always kind of like perplexed me is when you see, you know, obviously uh, Obi-Wan and 3PO are kind of like making a pile of Jawas to burn. Like it, it's like what, why? Like why? I feel like, I feel like the, the desert's going to claim back everything. And I just like, considering you're leaving, like I just don't know why that energy and effort was put into that thing. Like I maybe get it from Obi-Wan sense, but 3PO kind of like <laughs> these Jawa bodies on the fire. It's, it's so intense. So many things I had never considered before. Like, you know, obviously the, the story goes with Luke, but, you know, this alternate version where we stay with Obi-Wan and the droids and Obi-Wan's like, all right, well, we better clean this up. And you know, 3PO's like, when they decide to leave and go to the cantina, 3PO's like, but we haven't finished. <laughs> There's still more work to be done here. What I, what I imagine actually happens, Paul, is so um, Luke hoons off in the speeder and then Obi-Wan gets C-3PO and R2-D's like, look, look, you effers. If you say that you know me, you're done. You're done, mate. So he's like giving them like the hard, like, you know, there's a real hard talk around who knows what and who knows who and don't you dare bring up what happened previously. Yeah, there's a real big dog side to Kenobi that comes out in the unseen um, conversation with R2 and I feel like R2 would get it straight away. He doesn't need to even be told. It's it's 3PO, Dan, I think, who probably needs to really have it driven in. Yeah, well, 3PO's had his memory right, um, erased right, whereas um, R2's, you know, he's he stayed clean the whole way through. Yeah, that's true. Um, we, yeah, as you say, we there's nothing left for me here. I want to you know, come to older one. I want to learn the ways of the force and become a Jedi like my father. That's a, that's a big statement and that's a big moment. And so, we need to get off the planet. We head to the oh, cantina. Oh, oh, no, no, much like your father. Oh no, <laughs> don't go too far. Yeah, just 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 dial that back a bit. Um, we head into the cantina, and the, again, the music. There's, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about. But one of the things I picked up on. The, the dude that comes up and taps him on his shoulder and like, you you be careful, I have the death warrant. The guy that's next to him, I don't know what species is, but his mouth is like two sausages. And I remember being terrified that as a kid. And I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't eat sausages for years as a kid was because I just didn't like the look of that face at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't even know where to begin with. Um, I've never thought of them as sausages, to, to tell the truth. That's interesting. Yeah. But again, you're right though, another kind of scary scene as a kid, because eh? it's like all these aliens and they're kind of scary and they're kind of just like picking fights with people and it's like, is this what a bar's like? Like it's yeah. so many questions. And the last time we saw Chewbacca, of course, you know, he he was off with um with Solo on the Falcon, um, at the end of Solo, and all of a sudden he's there at the bar with with Obi-Wan having a chat. We don't know what about at this point, and we're suddenly getting taken to a table to sit down and enter Han Solo. Such a another great iconic moment, right? And it's, you know, this is what well, when we talked about this in Solo, that this is Han Solo is a bit of a evolved character, isn't he? Like he's still kind of got that um mm. that kind of cocky charm, but he's he's a bit angrier angrier at the world than I think he was in the Solo movie. Yeah, no, he is. Um, and there's something about the way he he sets his stall out pretty early, like you know, within the first ninety seconds. He's leaning forward and going, fast ship. You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon. It's like, you know, it, there's a real arrogance, cockiness about him. And and then, of course, I just love the shock on Luke's face at 10,000 credits. He's never heard of something so crazy in all his life. Yeah, it's 
that's that's good isn't it and i i even just love just the negotiation with you know obi-wan like having like no credits to his name like basically like he arrived on tatooine with the the stuff in his backpack and he's probably just accumulated things over the years and he's just thought he's just making promises of like oh let's make it seventeen thousand, you know two thousand now blah 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 it's 17 huh confident yeah he knows he knows they're in trouble when he starts hearing about seventeen thousand. He knows he's he's in for quite a mission. Uh, I th- I think the other one of my other sort of favourite things about it is like seventeen thousand and like no questions asked. And then like the next thing is Hans like no questions asked. Eh? Must be some type of imperial trouble. And it's like hold on, I just said <laughs> no questions asked. All right. Yeah. It's a really good point. It's a really good point. We we should write a letter to George with all the things we've picked apart here. Um, depending on what version of Star Wars A New Hope anyone is watching, we're, of course, of watching the one on Disney+. Plus. We're getting the latest version. Before we get to the Falcon, Han bumps into his old mate Jabba, and it's it always... Like, I am all for all of the added scenes. I know a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people don't like the whole, whole hand shot first, all of that stuff. I'm not bothered about any of it. I think if you can make it richer, if you can make it cleaner and still keep the core of it, it, for me, it works. There's still something about the Jabba scene that doesn't quite work because what happens is a lot of the conversation that he had with Greedo was originally going to be used with Jabba. When they decided not to go with the Jabba, they used the Greedo. And so a lot of the lines are being repeated and that's quite obvious. I almost feel like you almost need to cut some of the Greedo, but who wants to do that? Yeah... It's it's interesting eh? because I think my biggest problem, and you know that this is a, a big gripe of mine, Paul, is I cannot abide by poor quality CGI. And the CGI of Jabba is so annoying for me because he looks translucent almost and like he doesn't he doesn't look like a solid entity. And so I get so caught up in that I almost can't even hear the dialogue and I like it's yes it's good that we kind of get to see Jabba and it kind of like connects up the wider universe but you're right like I think there's something that needs like that dialogue needs to be different because I, I would hate to lose the Greedo dialogue because that kind of yeah. like helps really paint a picture of how much of a, a pirate slash badass Han Solo can be whereas I think the the Jabba bit's kind of interesting because like you know once we see Jabba again in Return of the Jedi he's so much bigger um the fact that he would even leave his palace is kind of interesting. Like it would almost be better just to have like Boba Fett there kind of like being like almost just to imply there is many bounty hunters after you, after you Han. Um, but to have the actual, the big dog come and, and sort of bring up about that money kind of seems, seems a bit extreme. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of things you've said that I want to pick into and, the, the version that we get, the latest version of Jabba, I find fine. And that's because I found the 1997 special edition Jabba and I've just Googled the pictures of it. That version of Jabba really bugged me because it didn't look good enough. And then, of course, there's the original version with the the human Jabba, which, of course, had you know that, that's never going to happen. It's interesting you make the remark about he's so much bigger because I'm just looking at a picture of Jabba from Return of the Jedi with C-3PO stood right next to him. And he looks very much similar size-wise to when Han is stood next to him as well. So actually, I, I think there's a there's a, a perception and optics thing around the way it looks because of the camera angles that we have in Return of the Jedi that maybe Jabba's not as gigantic as maybe we remember him from Return of the Jedi. 
I guess that, that's probably fair. Like, I, I guess when we see him in Jedi, he's kind of, you've got more of a, a side-on view, don't yeah. you? And he's kind of twisted. Whereas when we see him in uh, this movie, he's he's kind of upright and moving. But, yeah, interesting. Um, whilst all this is going on and they're escaping back on the Death Star, Leia's being questioned big time. And, and of course, we know Leia from uh, from the animated series from various novels we we know her from the sequel so we know her character we know she's not going to give out any secrets anytime soon even with one of those interrogation droids and so Tarkin makes that decision you know perhaps it's time we demonstrated the full power of this station and test it on your home planet of Alderaan and I just I always think now of that's quite a big statement to make because of course in in rogue one he's saying to krennic oh yeah we need a statement not a manifesto we're not going to blow up the whole planet we're just going to destroy the, the city of Jeddah. but all of a sudden Tarkin's like that's it i'm through with you leia i'm blowing up the whole planet it's um it's a massive moment and it's not even a small planet right like alderaan's referenced a lot through the star wars universe as a as a pretty core place and i think if you're going to blow up a planet like or you want you want to make that statement? There's probably there's probably far smaller options, but I guess it it serves its purpose, isn't it? It, it made the statement. There's just some things at my work. I don't know about your work, Dan, that I just think I can do. I can make decisions around. But maybe something like that, I'd probably be checking in with my manager or my manager's manager as to are you okay if I destroy the whole planet because it's it's kind of a big move. I, I just wonder if there was a conversation with Palpatine beforehand. I get the sense that Palpatine is a real sort of. Um, forward-thinking leader, and he's like empowering his people to make their own decisions. <laughs> and as long as kind of the outcome is kind of leading towards chaos, then it's probably okay. The Book of Palpatine, I love that. Yeah. Um, the so the destruction of the planet, Obi Wan feels that on the Falcon. A Falcon, and I remember as, again going. I keep going back to as a kid, but how can I not? It's just like, oh wow, this. He's not just an old dude. He's really connected. This force thing is, you know, we're starting to get a real understanding of what it means. Mm. Yeah, well, there is a, that moment of shock, isn't it, where he kind of like, he kind of pauses and and you kind of get the sense that he's he's got the sense and it's, yeah, it's, again, another one of those things that kind of becomes more meaningful, doesn't it, as time goes on? Yeah. Um, it's also the biggest loss of life, I think, unless anyone can correct me, that we've seen in Star Wars, this destruction of Alderaan. And I think it will stay that way until the Force awakens when the Starkiller base takes out multiple planets. I think it's, um, you know, in terms of loss of life, it's actually monumental, isn't it? The idea that they're just taking out planets, Paul, is absolutely ridiculous. Like, it's like, you know, there's so, like, regardless of your of your thinking on how you want to assume control of the galaxy the amount of resources the obviously the people the like to destroy like we're not making more planets like that's it there's that's it to, ta- to take it take them out is it's outrageous it's it's wasteful isn't it and it's like almost against the empire's um you know the idea like we saw in solo where they they go down to a planet and they just take it out and they they have it for themselves mm-hmm. it's um but hey it is it is what it is um the Falcon's coming out of hyperspace now, Dan, and there is no other one. It's been totally blown away. Han, Han can see what's going on, but no one else seems to buy it at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, then we've got the lone TIE fighter, and it's like there's no way it could be this far out. It's, yeah. you know, they, they think they're, they're going to engage and, and blast it away. And before you know it, Paul, it's, it's not a moon. It's a space station. Yeah. Oh, 
being pulled into the Death Star and now going on the record to say, I think this is my second favorite moment in all of Star Wars is that moment from the being the Falcon being pulled in to the Death Star, hiding in the, the compartments, and then right through to the escape. I just, I love that. And I think I referenced it in Rogue One, our rewatch of that, you know, when they were undercover in Rogue One. I just love the infiltration type, mm-hmm. walking around in Stormtrooper costumes. I just love that. I think um, another thing that was really obvious to me this time around is in Solo, the Millennium Falcon is like crisp white inside. Like it looks like a brand new Tesla. It's just come off the factory line. When you look inside the Millennium Falcon this time, particularly when they're stowing away, the walls are like all like grimy and gritty and like whatever happened between Solo and A New Hope, like that ship has been through hell and back. Um, But I think just to your point, um, Han and Luke in Stormtrooper costumes – uh, um, are my favorite versions of those characters yep. i think and yeah, it's so good there's so much story there's so many great one-liners we'd be here all day if we tried to basically recite the whole script but just the the convincing of han to actually get on board with this mission comes down to wealth in the end um and you know just the way they get off the ship the tk421 all of these iconic moments and then um obi-wan realizes in order for them to get off of the Death Star, he's going to have to go alone. And he's like, damn fool, I knew you were going to say that. And and he's off by himself. And that's the last time that Luke will see Obi-Wan. And he knows it. And again, when he turns and looks at him and says, the Force will be with you always. It's one of the most iconic quotes in movie history. It's um, watching it on this rewatch, just seeing him go away, just knowing that it just meant a bit more again. I know, like, and I think it's it means even more in the context of the Kenobi uh, series as well, right? Because it's, yeah. you know, particularly when he's 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 been kind of this um, this guardian of this character for such a long time. Yeah, your destiny leads along a different path to mine, and I guess we'll get to that that soon enough. And Vader senses it, so he can't sense Leia, his own daughter, but he turns up in you know Tarkin's office, interrupts his lunch to say, you know, Obi Wan is here, the Force is with him. I imagine Obi Wan though is like he's like he's radiating like yeah, on purpose, his force right? juice, and he's like <laughs> he's like come at me, Vader. I know you're on. I know you're here. I want you to know I'm here. Like whereas you know Leia is potentially um, like un- unchanneled, right? Mm. Whereas like, like Obi Wan's like I'm I'm turning my vibes up to ten. Let's go. <laughs> vibes up to ten. Um, yeah, and so Tarkin's not buying this at all. He's like, yeah, they're all gone, you know. Are you are you having a bad day, Darth? Because, and then suddenly they get the message that you know the princess has been broken out, and suddenly he's like, oh, that's it. Obi Wan is here. Yeah, definitely. Because I guess uh, where do you want to go from here, Paul? Do you want to go to the crash, um, the trash compactor, or do you want to go to? Uh, I guess we probably should go there first, shouldn't we? Yeah, well, I I think. Um, just briefly what i the one thing i picked up on it is the immediate uh chemistry the immediate falling into arguing but play arguing between leia and han instantly so they've just broken her out and then they're sort of they they get cornered in and she's straight away like you know look like you've looks like you've managed to cut off our only escape route and straight away he's like well maybe you'd like it back in your cell your worshipness or whatever it's like yeah it's it's immediate right from the start the chemistry between these two 
Um, the trash compactor scene actually funny enough because I do need to pick some holes with this movie. It kind of goes on for a bit too long for me on a rewatch now. I think I've lost the the interest so much in that. I, I just want them to get out and get on with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's it, it's probably one of those years that could be could be cut. I was just going to say the other interesting thing, just in the context of Han and, and Leia and their kind of back and forth banter relationship, is I always have to remind myself that Luke and Leia are the same age, yeah. but I always think of Leia as the slightly older character. Yeah. Oh, she just comes across as so much more uh, self-assured, so much more refined. And I guess that comes with, you know, Luke got the short straw, you know, like at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you know, take take him to to, to Tatooine, to his family, you know, and oh, we'll take the girl. We always wanted a girl. You know, that decision at that point has really affected the lives that these two individuals have had. I mean, on, in hindsight, maybe, maybe they should have both gone to Alderaan, uh, maybe had a, a better upbringing. <laughs> Well, especially because I think, you know, no one would be looking for twins. Do you know what I mean? Like, in fact, it would have been almost the safer, like, safer. If if the Empire are looking for for this son of Skywalker, if they see a double buggy, a double pram going past, they're just going to knife look twice. Move along. Not not the kids we're looking for. Correct. Yeah. Nice. Um, So I guess, so they eventually get out of the trash compactor. And I guess this is really where we lead to this, you know, as a as a child, one of my favorite sort of battles between uh, Vader and Obi Wan. As an adult, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty low key battle. It's really disappointing, isn't it? And I, you know, watching this movie with my my twelve year old son, he found uh, this video on YouTube, which I'm sure you may have already seen, where someone has done a very good Obi Wan Vader battle, and it's yeah, it's just it's it's. For a movie that delivers so much for its time and has aged so well, this bit, um, they clearly had no stunt double for Alec Guinness for any of those scenes. It was Alec Guinness in every single scene. You know, the the guy was was old enough, even at this movie, and I think they just needed to... Because Vader, sorry, not Vader, Lucas was already a huge fan of many martial arts movies and things, and I just feel like, you know, when you've got a hood up and you've got a guy in a suit... You could easily have brought in some some stunt actors to do something a bit different, even back then. Yeah, it's it's a very kind of like slow old man fight to a degree, isn't it? Like it's you know, and I think this is where we kind of ruined, particularly in the animated Star Wars world, right? Because the lightsaber duels in there are second to none. Yeah, and you know, particularly when you think about like duels between Ahsoka and Darth Maul, um, even Obi Wan and Darth Maul, like it's this there's just so much more action to them and this is this is so low-key but in saying that you kind of give it a pass because of what it is and it's like without this we could have never had all these other things so it's okay but it could be better oh you're right i fully give it a pass but it is probably other than that mono music that hits you right at the start it's probably I can probably watch this movie the whole way through, and it's probably at this point that I actually become aware. Oh, this wasn't done recently. It's it's probably the thing that mm. ages it the most. Which I guess credit to the movie because if that's where I'm picking it up, you know they've done they've done pretty well. But even though the battle isn't isn't great, every line of dialogue from both of them, you know, if you win, you can't win death. If you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can imagine. When I left you as the master, and the one which really I noticed this time, which is just a, a throwaway line, is the line, your powers are weak, old man. Because it, it just felt like 
I could hear Anakin saying that, which of course at the time there was no uh, perception of who Anakin was, but it's uh, it, it fits well now. Mm, no, that's a, that's a good call. The other thing uh, in the scene which kind of bothered me more this time than it has other times is when Vader eventually like strikes Obi-Wan down. Obi-Wan virtually unalives himself before that lightsaber even hits yeah. him because there's no like if we saw that in today's movie, like like that robe would at least be like slashed in half and Correct. kind of like burnt on the edges. But it just kind of falls to the ground. Yeah. And it's kind of falls to the ground before like he's just like, I'm done, I'm out. And he just force ghosts himself straight away. Yeah, it's even there's something about the body language of Vader, the way he's looking down. Obviously, he's got a helmet, so we can't see his facial expression. But there's something about the way he's with his foot. He's sort of, you know, he doesn't understand either what has happened mm. here. And so it's caught him off guard as well. So in that respect, I guess it's good that you you've sort of said, oh, you know, that's not what we would expect to see. It's, um, But as, as he gets slayed, it really even today it really hits me and the again the music that plays as luke screams it's really powerful it's 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 just fantastic mm-hmm. and i guess that sort of you know this is a, a big moment for luke to see his uh friend and two-minute master um yeah. you know struck down <laughs> it is an interesting minute because, moment because you know and you made the observation about how leia seems so much older than luke you know when you know they get on the Falcon and escape, not because of Obi Wan, but because you know Tarkin let it happen. I mean, that's what a waste for Obi Wan. But um, you know, Leia's bringing him a a blanket, blanket to comfort him, and he's all, "I can't believe he's gone." And she's like, "Oh, I just lost my whole family and my whole planet." But here, have a blanket for the old wizard dude you met five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's it's it, at the time. You just don't even think about it, but now it's now it's uh, and, just... and in the same breath, like virtually in the same scene, like they're actually like a chase has been put up. So it's like you, they have to go from morning to you know straight into into the cockpit, start like yeah. shooting down tie fighters. Like it's it's a bit of a like it's almost weird when you think about, it, isn't it? To have this kind of like we're going to have an emotional scene, but within seconds, actually get get it together, yeah. we're, we're in attack mode. I think that whole scene is more for us, isn't it, the audience? Because we've gone on the journey with Obi-Wan, so we're now mourning the Obi-Wan, and that's how it makes sense. But speaking of great music, Dan, uh, you've just referenced the, you know, rushing off into the coppers, the the Here They Come music, um, which was reused in Solo. The, the That music, the TIE fighters attacking, and some of the scenes George Lucas talks about how he's quite literally copied and pasted from other movies because he wanted it to be exactly like that whole that whole scene plays out really really well but of course layers onto it you know they let us go it was way too easy and that makes sense because that death star will literally have tens of thousands of, of tie fighters and mm-hmm. all kinds of means of stopping them but hey mm. yeah no it's good. you've got to give this movie a complete shout out for the fantastic score the whole the whole way through like it's just it's, it's so iconic can i say even if there's a slight chance then this ship is being tracked not this ship sister but even if there's a slight chance that it is maybe don't go to the rebel base maybe stop off i don't know stop off at tatooine and, and get another ship and then fly to the rebel base with the, you yeah, know maybe just it's, it, it's high risk it's very high risk but um but yeah to your point the music throughout is just it's just um it's just unbelievable i feel like i can i could listen to the music from many star wars movies so like the force awakens or um 
don't know, Revenge of the Sith, and I might not know which pieces go with which scenes, I can listen to a New Hope's music and I'll know each piece exactly what scene, where we are in the movie. It's it's that iconic. So it's interesting now we're on um, in Yevon and the other thing that's sort of like, because the movie's almost at the end at this point, right? Like there's actually not that much yeah. time left. Like the majority of the movie has been to get to this point, yet there's still the the moment of actually obviously the the death star kind of appears with Yavin, yet like the rebels have to kind of quickly scramble to um go up and try and take down this death star that they know about its weakness now and the other thing that's, it kind of has always intrigued me is they just give luke keys to the x-wing straight away like there's no questions asked there's no like wait are you a pilot what do you like You've been flying your your T fourteen, like killing what rats. Like, what else have you flown? But like, they're just like, look, here is our here is our Top Gun best sort of like you know fighter ship. Yeah. Where you go, where you go, son. It's that's those crops. Yeah, it was kind of easy, I guess. Desperate times, desperate measures. We we learned about the fate of Red Five in in Rogue One. So there, obviously, there was an opening in mm. the squad they barely had time to get the job advert up on the internet for anyone to apply and luke's just walking in um yeah that whole scene on yavin 4 is again we talked about it at the start of the movie how we take our time through the droid journey and the whole sand crawler and the whole homestead now i feel like we're suddenly sitting down the plans are up quickly right everyone get to your ships let's go and of course we've got to act quickly because the death star's on route but i feel like I wanted more on that. If I if I could expand that out, I'd love a little bit more in that. Well, I think that's the thing when you put it in the context of having just watched Rogue One and how slow the Rebel Alliance is to make a decision. Yeah. The fact that they're so quick to arms here is almost kind of mind blowing. Like it's almost counter to what everything we've kind of if you if you just consider the timeline, we've come to learn about the alliance. Yeah. And I guess the only canon explanation I can think of is that because they saw what happened at Scarif and because now everyone is, okay, there really is this Death Star and it really can do these things. And maybe they're now like, they've they've brought some, I don't know, some designers in and they've refined this whole process to actually make it more efficient and like mm-hmm. we need we need quick action. Because mm. I guess this is, again, like in my mind, like... So we've finally got all we've we've scrambled X wings. We've got Y wings. We're 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 up in space. This was a much longer part of the movie, but it's actually quite a quick part, right? Because yeah. obviously a, a lot of the the Death Star sort of like priming itself to take its take its shot. Uh, the X wings and stuff are trying to sort of do their do their trench runs. Vader's ship gets launched, luckily, um, and he he also sort of enters the fray. And you know you've got Force Ghost um, Obi Wan already giving Luke like hot tips on what he should be doing, but it's kind of like in my mind that's like a 30, 40 minute sequence. But in reality, this is kind of a yeah. ten minute window. It does. It plays out quite quickly, and a lot of the scenes are actually reused. We see the same Tie Fighters from the same angle several times. You know, they just didn't record that much of it back in the day, and it does go by quite quickly. And I just just hearing you say about you know Force Ghost Obi Wan, you know. Luke, barely familiar with the next wing. The last thing you probably need is you're flying this thing and you're already a bit nervous is to actually have the, the voice of a dead guy suddenly be... But maybe Luke at this point already is aware of the Force and he's got enough training under his belt 
Um, because, you know, Vader always, and I'm jumping ahead to Empire, but you know, Obi-Wan has trained you well. Well, hang on. <laughs> How much training did he actually do? If I heard a voice in my X-Wing, like I'm in the deeper space, which I've probably never been to, yeah, correct. Like, you know, in, in this context, I'd be like, has Wedge put like a Bluetooth speaker in my X-Wing and he's playing tricks on me? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> That's the only explanation you could come up with, yeah, because it's like, what is going on here? Can I just take us quickly back to Yavin? Because General Dodana, he says Princess Leia's name wrong. He says, you know, the plan's provided by Princess Leia. And Tarkin also does it on on the Death Star. He's like, Princess Leia, I would like you to be again. It's like, can I just correct you here? It's not Leia, it's Leia. And and they do it twice in this movie. Do you know, I actually think it's it's okay in the context of like this, of of the world right like it's like is it Han or is it is it Han and it's like I know that we, we, we've had it correctly um, clarified in, in Solo but it's like you know in a huge universe the fact that people would say these differently kind of adds a bit of quirk to it but okay. it is weird in a movie context okay I'll go with that I'll go with that um, I do love the fact that Vader gets into his ship you know we'll have to destroy them ship to ship and straight away back in 1977 we've got no idea why but Vader's ship has got these different wings. You know, we now know it's a TIE interceptor, whatever. It's, but at the time, it's like it makes it so obvious. Oh, that's Vader's ship. It's it's just, it's no explanation. And yet it works. It, he's also constantly like tweaking the dial. He's like, it's like he can't decide what radio station to listen to. And he's like, yeah. oh, I need to, <laughs> need to just find another station, guys. <laughs> it seems so inefficient, doesn't it? Like, eh, eh, eh. The one to the left. <laughs> what? What? Or has he got like a thermos, and he's just having a you know a few swigs in between that we're not yeah. seeing? I don't know. Um, I I still really appreciate the I guess the the look that the particularly for Luke like when you know you're trying to target this exhaust port and just sort of the way that it kind of like it's got this real eighties kind of the the screen goes red the lines go across it and it's like it's so iconic yeah and it's so it's so great and it works so well and I'm so glad that they kept that look when they did solo and also when they. Uh, I think the last Jedi. I, I can't remember where they where they have them in that in that. Maybe it's Force Awakens, but I love that look as well. It it is amazing. All of the the rebel pilots in the X wings and the Y wings, red leader, gold leader. Again, we talked about it in Rogue One. The guy who says, you know, switch to targeting computer. When you look at his face, he's got a real Dwight Schrute look about him. There's just like some of these rebels, some of these seventies rebels have just a really great great look. Um, I- I'll tell you something that annoys me about the the rules, Paul, is when they're like, all right, let's check in, and it's like, red four, checking in, red two, checking in, red uh, five, check- like, hold on, okay, guys, um, this isn't just like a random call out when you think that you want to call out your call sign. Can we get a one, two, three, four? Like, let, let's get some order to this. <laughs> it's just so random. It's like, who knows when it's time to, it's like when you're on a Teams meeting at work and you know it's like you, you want everyone to have a, a chance to talk it's like who shall i pass to do you want to go next and uh, yeah it's really inefficient i know i've been <laughs> you're on mute you're on mute red four <laughs> that's great that's why luke jumped in because red four was on was on yeah. mute um just quickly because you know we're about to lose tack and and such a great character his arrogance is just incredible because you know Galen Erso's plans. They they've now looked at it. They've found the the weakness, and they're like, ah, oh, he's done this on purpose. That cheeky farmer, and 
someone comes to Tuck and says, oh, look, we've, we've actually we've got a BA in the back here. He's done a bit of work. We've analyzed their attack. They're, you know, should I ready your ship? And he's like, evacuate in our moment of triumph. He, th- the arrogance across the board is just incredible because, again, risk adverse would be actually, which I always thought Tarkin was risk adverse. That's why he's not then boots on the ground. He's up high in a safe place. If there is a danger, I'm going to listen to that. I'm a military man. I am going to leave and see that I, you know, but no. I guess it's it's so incomprehensible that the um, the rebels would truly understand this weak point and be able to land a, a proton torpedo into this exhaust port. You're such a big ship that it would have such a catastrophic impact like i can kind of resonate with them in the sense that there's no way they're going to pull this off yeah i it seems unlikely i mean this thing can destroy planets it's it's a a a little fly attacking a rhinoceros it's it's Mm -hmm. it's an incredible thing isn't it um vader meanwhile is you know they've got rid of just about everyone wedges had to leave because i don't know something happened he's like you can't do any good back there and so he leaves and then it's just Vader and Luke, and even the straight away, Vader's like, oh, the force is strong with this one. So if we didn't know before, we're absolutely certain now that Luke has already learnt something and has, has got something about him from his training from Obi-Wan because Vader can't catch him. And, you know, if you're a force ghost, Obi-Wan, and you're talking to Luke, can you also talk to Anakin? Can you be like, I had the high ground, you, should, you know? like That's great. That's that's a whole other version. You know, he could have been in his ear in in the trench run and been like, "So, just wrecking him." Um, how about that high ground? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you went with black. I wouldn't have gone with black. Why do you go? With, you know, just like I don't know, just all kinds of humorous. You lines. had your daughter on the on the desk there, like basic. Like, did you not know that was your daughter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think this is obviously where we get the great moment as well, where the Falcon comes in and gives Luke a hand because we're the movie. We basically have Luke and Han parting ways, um, as we all know that Han has some debts to repay, but at the last minute decides to come in and give Luke a hand, ultimately, I guess, saving the day, Vader spinning off, and this is ultimately the destruction of the Death Star, and it's almost like in a perfect timing type sense as they fire that proton torpedo into the exhaust board. Yeah. Everyone, there's a, there's a great sort of shot of the X-Wings and the Falcon just like zooming out and then it just sort of like the explosion is so perfect and how it just sort of that circular ring just kind of yeah. echoes out. Oh, an- another reason why I think the special edition is is superior in terms of that explosion compared to the original is so much more satisfying. It's a beautiful explosion. Also, talking about hand coming in, the angle, the camera angle of watching the Falcon mm. come in is, is ahead of its time. I really appreciated that with the big Yahoo as he comes in. It, it is great. One thing I didn't like, Dan, and I've never picked up on it before in what must be 50 plus watches of this movie, as Luke lands his X-Wing and all the engineers and all the rebels crowd around, there's kind of a very lukewarm, no pun intended, but a very sort of, I don't know, like the applause is kind of, yeah, it's it's really not that celebratory at all because they were all about to be blown to bits and they're kind of like, oh, great, are we going for afternoon tea? It's, I don't know, it's it's, it's not enough. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because I guess, like, so first of all, like Luke's kind of largely an unknown to all of these people. Um there's equally been a huge like loss of life on the on the um, Death Star. Mm. It's yeah, it's it, it is kind of a weird force celebration, isn't it? It's like you know we've all been to those celebrations at work where you're like, 
I don't want a part of this. Yeah. And it's like, and you, you <laughs> have to right. kind of go along. And I think you're right. You're going along for the, for the, for the scones. So yeah, it's, that's all you're there for. Or maybe, maybe you're hoping you might get a medal. Who knows? But, um, it is, you know, everything's safe now. Of course, Vader survives. Um, other Imperials obviously survive who went there. We've got Iden Versio going past the, the Death Star in her TIE fighter as well. Um, there's a number of people that survive, but this movie is, is pretty much done. R2, you know, there's a lot of concern for R2. You know, we've just saved the whole planet and destroyed the Death Star, but, you know, there's a lot of tension about R2. And we're into the, again, great music as we enter that, that ceremony. That ceremony is all like it's, it's such a love hate moment for me because it's always like I the music is amazing like I just love Carrie Fisher's smile too in that scene yeah. when she's like giving out medals like I feel like you truly see uh, a happier side of her which we haven't really seen in the in the movie to date but she's just kind of got this like real kind of like mischievous look to herself but it's it's just never sat well with me about this whole medal ceremony like. Why hasn't Chewbacca got a medal? He deserves one just as much as Han. But also, it probably would have been better if we had Wedge and we had a few of like, everyone who was, in fact, like all the people that made this happen probably needed a medal. And it would have been good to kind of have at least like 10 people up on up there getting the medal, not not just two. So few people survived, all the people that put their life on the line. Wedge Antilles 100% should have been there. I mean, we haven't even seen what he's going to do in the next few movies, um, right through to the rise of Skywalker, of course, um, but he he deserved to be there. And also, there's so much CGI in this movie, Dan. Now that they've retrofitted, that when they all turn, would it be that hard to CGI in a medal across Chewie, so that even if we didn't see him being given it, when they all turn, he's got it. I just don't understand. I, it's it's the most outrageous thing for me in this movie, Paul. It's all about the reward, Dan. You know, we've saved the galaxy, we've destroyed the threat, but we need to make sure the quality exists when it comes to the medal giving, please. Exactly, exactly. So that kind of brings us to the end, end of the movie, doesn't it? It does. And I do always love to hear your thoughts on if you could change one thing in this movie... Would you? And what would it be? Well, I think so. A medal for Chewbacca is a hundred percent a given. Yep. But I think the the thing that I would I would probably change, but I don't know how I would do it, is I kind of want more time between Luke and Obi Wan. Mm. I want um I want more development between them so that like I kind of want Luke to really buy into what it is to be a Jedi and I want him to kind of like undergo some training because I feel like it's kind of just left so much to your imagination that he's just like, oh yeah, I get it. Thanks for the lightsaber. I'm I'm joining. I'm down. Thanks for the lightsaber. It's it's a really good call. And there would have been easy ways to achieve that. So we saw him on the Falcon with the um what do we call that thing? The the training, the, the training the, droid thing. And it would have been easy for them to extend that out and have that scene play out with him, with you know, with maybe Obi-Wan moving some things, the telekinesis. Um, and that would have, you know, we, or whatever, it's not telekinesis, whatever the you know, f- force movement. Um, and just have a little bit more of that would have been really nice. Especially at the cost of like, you know, like cutting down potentially some of that uh, Jabba scene or cutting down some of the trash compactor scene or whatever it may be. It might have just 
because I think that the timings of this movie are all kind of a little bit whack where there's there's too much time up front and not enough time at the end. So yeah, I think for, I, I really like that. I think for me, uh, I would I would be the same, but I'm still I still can't help but go past the the moment that pulled me out of it in terms of oh this is the seventies the Vader Obi Wan battle. I just I just would love for them to have, as I sort of said earlier, just uh, recast some stunt doubles in there and just gave a more satisfying fight at yeah. that point, which is interesting for me because I'm not massive on the whole, you know, lightsaber dueling martial arts type thing, but uh, it's just so, it's so timid. I feel like, Dan, you and I might have done a better job and that's a real insult to the people that were involved, I'm sure. That's 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 not untrue, is it? It's not it's untrue. Not untrue. I think this is the thing, right? And I think, you know, we've talked about this with the other movies is like, will they, like, they've obviously messed with um, A New Hope for every time they re-release it somewhere, they, they make some changes. I would be intrigued to see whether one day Disney's like, let's go back and actually just fix up a bunch of basic things that we could we could easily do. Yeah. Oh, I would not put it past them at all. And yeah, I guess we'll find out one day. So the big question really, Paul, is where does this movie rank for you? So this for me is a relatively simple decision. It is top of the pile for me, but it's it's a simple decision because it is so iconic and there's so much about this movie and the history and the enjoyment of it as a child. And yet watching it now in timeline order, it's so apparent to me that because it was made so long ago, the the, the quality of the cinematography, the, the the nature of the direction and things, but characters story is always the heart of everything i talk about in this podcast and for me this this is as good as it gets and so it's it's number one for me what about you i i'm struggling with this one because i love it more for what it did for the star wars universe but and it does have a few it's got i feel it's got more flaws than most star wars movies that we talk about Mm. but it's given more of a pass so in that sense, I'm actually going to put it in my number two spot. So it, Rogue One is going to stay number one for me. Nice. So that's so for me, I've got Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, Solo, oh, Rogue yeah. One, and New Hope. And you? I am Attack of the Clones, The Phantom Menace, Solo, Revenge of the Sith, and New Hope, and Rogue One. Nice. Oh, well, I guess we'll see on our next special episode where... The Empire Strikes Back ranks in all of this because that's that's a hell of a movie coming in. I uh, this is this is the big one, right? This is this is many people's favorite movie. Mm-hmm. So I imagine we might there might need to be a a podcast where we've got a good amount of extra time to maybe talk about. Yeah. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another Half Measures podcast. Does indeed. If you've got anything to say about a new hope or anything you'd like to share with us that maybe we got wrong or missed or anything, do get in touch with us at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And a very special thanks to our Patreon producers, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Dinah Kanawa, and Linda Hefner. We couldn't do it without you. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.